My father had a saying. My dad had a lot of sayings. Some of them you can repeat in church, some of them you can't. This is one of the sayings my father had that you can repeat. And I've heard it this week. They said, you know what? No good deed goes unpunished. No good deed goes unpunished. We usually say that when um, the dog bites the hand that feeds it. Or in our case, the birds bite the hand that feed it. Uh, you know, people show no gratitude. They show no appreciation for the things done for them. And uh, it seems sometimes, like in the Christian life, there is, no, there is real truth in that, that we don't get recompensed or we don't get paid back for the good that we do. And sometimes we do good for other people and it turns around and bites us. If you've ever had that experience, then today's sermon is for you. This is the first part of a two-part series. We're looking at spiritual warfare. We've looked at who Satan is. We've looked at who we are in Jesus Christ. Today, I want to give you a real-world example of how Satan operates, how he attacks. I've entitled this one, When Mercy Backfires. When Mercy Backfires. We've all heard those stories of people going out of their way to help other people. I can think of a few people in my life. We, we've gone over to the house, helped them to clean up, help them to move things, help them to do whatever. And you've been in ministry as long as I have. You've done a lot of that. But we go over there and suddenly they've done nothing. In fact, you go over there, start working, and they do nothing. They sit there and let you do the whole thing. And then when it's all over, instead of saying, thank you for coming, thank you for helping out, they complain about the way you did the job and you didn't do enough and you took too long. And that's when mercy backfires. In this situation, I want to show you what happens when Satan sees the activity of the church. And anytime you, the church does something, you know there's going to be an attack, right? If the church is doing nothing, Satan doesn't have to do anything. You're already inactive. But if the church is actively doing something to grow and to move forward, Satan's going to do his best to sidetrack us. So if you get on Satan's radar, you can expect a three-step battle. A three-step battle. The first one is this. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 16, beginning of verse 16. Acts 16, 16. We'll be in this chapter uh, both this Sunday and next Sunday. Today we're going to talk about the first part of this conflict. And next Sunday we're going to sum it all up. So Acts 16, 16. The first step in any battle is Christians take action. Christians take action. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe the word of God, if you believe that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, if you see something in your society, something in your life, your circle of friends, you're going to speak out on the Lord's behalf. Can I get an amen if you ever opened your mouth defending the Lord and then had someone try and close it? Just say amen. There we go. Acts 16, 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. Now, I want you to notice this. In the real world, out there, beyond the church, they call it a gift. Oh, you have the gift of second sight. Or you have the gift of prediction. Or you have the gift of foreknowledge. They call it all these things. Notice how the Word of God identifies these things. A spirit of prediction. Basically, it means a demonic spirit had attached itself to this young girl and was using her as a mouthpiece. 
Now, we see many people on TV who say, yes, I see the dead. Yes, I talk to the dead. I communicate to those who have departed and gone over the river, are in the next world, and they talk about this conversation they have with dead people. Did you know that that biblically is impossible? The Bible says it is appointed unto a man or woman once to die and then the judgment. Once you are judged, you're not talking to anybody. So what are these people, these spirit mediums, these people that talk to them, what are they actually doing? They are talking to a spirit, a prediction, a fallen spirit, a demon. Let's go on. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the Most High God. Now, on the surface, that would seem like a good thing, wouldn't it? Hey, this, this girl over here that everyone knows is a fortune teller, she's telling them how amazing we are. She's telling them how fantastic and that we represent the Most High God. It's what it would sound like, right? I don't think so. You see, Satan doesn't like it when God gets the glory. That's the truth. When a spirit is speaking the truth, but doing it for an alternative reason, that is Satan's most important attack. Look at how many pastors begin their careers speaking the truth of God. They begin by preaching the word of God. They begin by reading the word of God, explaining the word of God. And somewhere along the way, they get famous. Along the way to getting famous, they get rich. They get powerful. I mean, I've heard of pastors who have six, $800,000 salaries. And I'm thinking, what servant of God needs an $800,000 salary? It's insane that any pastor who surrendered to ministry would make that much money instead of letting the church put that money into its mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And I look at that and I go, wow, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of she didn't deny what they were saying. Did you notice that? Satan doesn't have to deny the truth. They are slaves of the Most High God. Obvious, obviously true. So what is this spirit doing? First of all, let's go back just a few verses and see why the spirit's talking. Acts 16, 14. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth in the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening to what Paul and the people were saying. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia was a single woman. She was an entrepreneur. She sold purple cloth, which was extraordinarily expensive in the ancient world. You had to get the dye for purple cloth from these Mediterranean sea slugs. Interestingly, if you harvested these sea slugs in the daytime, you got a purple dye. But if you harvested them at night, you got a cobalt blue dye. Does anyone know what that blue dye was used for? The Jews used that dye harvested at night from these Mediterranean sea slugs to make the purple strands that would go on the corners of the prayer shawls of the Jewish people. Only if you harvest at night do you get that blue that's called to hell it, to hell it blue. 
Only at night did you get that. So it's a lot more work to do it. During the daytime, you could actually harvest it and you would get this purple dye. In fact, the Roman Empire loved the purple dye so much, they passed a law saying, hey, you Jews, you can't harvest the sea slugs anymore because you're wasting our valuable purple dye on these blue to hell it strands that go in your prayer shawls. So they made a law that was illegal for the Jews to harvest the sea slugs. Do you know what happened when they did that? This is history. This is not me making stuff up because I do that sometimes, but not always. When they passed the law, look it up, there was a plague that killed all of the sea slugs. All of them died. They disappeared. You know when they came back? This was like in the 60s and 70s AD. You know when they came back? They came back in 1948 after Israel became a nation again, after Israel resumed the worship of God and needed those to hell its strands. Isn't that interesting? The Romans said, we're going to keep them for us. You can't have them. So God said, you can't have them either. Romans disappeared. They were gone. There was no Israel. There was no need for them. Then Israel becomes a nation again and the sea slugs are back. And now they can make the Tehillah cord that shows that the people of Israel are dedicated to God. Just a little aside, never mess with God's people. It's a very bad idea. Lydia was one who made this purple cloth, sold it to the Romans. She was wealthy. What happens? She hears the word of God. She is converted. And now this influential, powerful woman is bringing into her home these Christians who are preaching Jesus. So you see, already the Christians are doing their job. They're preaching Jesus. And us to, just along the way, they encounter this woman who is possessed, and she starts annoying them, drawing attention away from them. She's shouting so much, nobody can hear what the apostles are saying. So when Christians take action, believe me, Satan takes notice. Go to the second thing, don't you see? The second step in the battle. When Christians do their job, non-Christians will attack you. They will. Acts 16, 18. And she did this for many days, meaning the spirit-possessed girl. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turned to the spirit, not to the girl. He spoke to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Notice he didn't wave holy water. He didn't throw crosses at her. He didn't do all these rituals you see on TV. He simply said, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. Amazing. And it came out right away. When her owners saw that their hope for a prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. Wait a minute. Were they disturbing the city? They spoke to one girl, taking the demons out of her. They didn't do anything to the city. The city was just fine. They had been there for days and nothing had happened until they interrupted the profit making of this small group of people. So they grabbed them. So they are seriously disturbing our city. The Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. That was a lie. There was no law prohibiting religions at that time. 
There was nothing that they had done that, that crossed any lines of the Roman Empire. But what do you do if you want to stop Christians? You suddenly draw attention to some aspect and you make it seem like they're dangerous. When they were well under the reign of Nero, right? Every year in Rome, there were fires. Did you know that? The poorer sections of Rome would burn every summer because the heat was so extreme. There were fires. One year, there was a bad fire, a really bad fire. And everybody started to complain that the emperor was burning Rome. They thought that he wanted to build a city and call it Neropolis. Neropolis or the city of Nero. He wanted to burn down the eternal city and build a monument to himself. When they turned on him, what did Nero say? Oh no, it's not me. It's those Christians, those wackos, those fanatics. They're the ones that are burning your city. They're the ones that are destroying things. See, he wanted the attention off himself, so he blamed the Christians. These men had their income taken away simply by a statement made by Paul. Rather than being impressed that God had that kind of power, they wanted to destroy these men because they had basically wiped out their income. See, that's how the world is. As long as Christians say nothing, as long as Christians do nothing, then the world is fine with us. But if we start saying, this is right, this is wrong, this is moral, this is immoral, as long as we start, if we start staying standards for people, then the world gets upset. Then they find reasons to turn on us. They find reasons to hate us. They say, oh, you're, you're just whipping up hatred. You're living in the past. You're old-fashioned. They say lots of things about Christians who actually hold to the Bible. Now, if you're a pastor and you start talking about peace, love, rock and roll, that kind of thing, if you're not talking about Jesus, you're not talking about morals, you're not talking about sinners getting saved, they're, they're going to be fine with you. It's a church right downtown in Houston that says God made everybody just the way they are and you can live any way you want to and love anybody you want to and do anything you want to and it's okay because God doesn't mind. Very popular church. You know why? They're not saying anything. They're not making any statement that makes a difference. All they're doing is validating what people are already doing. But you start saying, no, God does have standards. There aren't many ways to God. There's one way to God. Then people will turn against you. Then they'll be angry. They didn't care about the city. They didn't care about good being good Romans. All they cared about is their money. You watch in any society when the church does something that prohibits the profit or free expression of the world, that's when the world turns on the church. And that's when the church either stands up or it lays down and dies. And a lot of churches have just caved in. They give the people what they want. So you see, if the church starts to do its job, you can bet Satan's going to do his job. Distract. Turn aside. Remember, he is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. And he will take the attention off of the issue that's real and put it on the issue that's not. That these men are promoting some sort of illicit practice or, or something that is forbidden. Just like Nero. Oh, these guys are burning the city because they don't like the way we live our lives. So what's the third part of that? What's the third part of that battle? This is it. When the world fights back church, Christians will pay the price. 
If you are a Christian, if you stand for the word of God, if you stand for the Bible, you will pay a price. Let's see what happens. Acts 16, 22. Now, these guys have said what they've said to the chief magistrates. They've accused them of uh, basically sedition against the government. It says, then the mob joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Wow. Long wooden rods that were used to beat. This basically was a common practice in the Roman Empire. I went ahead and looked this one up. This was done by a type of soldier called the lictor. A lictor was the person in charge of using these wooden staffs to beat people into submission to punish them. Now, have you ever heard of taking your licks? Anybody my age remember getting your licks? These are the guys that gave us that word. These are lictors. They're the ones that gave you your licks to punish you for, for disobedience. So this was not uncommon in and of itself. Although we're going to see next week, there were some things that they missed when they went ahead and did this. So they stripped off their clothes and ordered them beaten with rods. After they were had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Okay, now this is not just putting them in jail. This is putting them in double jail. This is putting them in the heart of the jail. Notice what he says. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Okay, now here you have to kind of go back to the 1700s in America. When a man was convicted of drunkenness or brawling, he would be taken to the city center. He would be put in the stocks. Anybody know what the stocks were? Basically, you sat on a seat, your feet were extended forward, and they put one piece of wood here, one piece of wood there. They clamped them down, locked them so your feet couldn't go anywhere. They did the same thing to your neck and your hands, and you sat there in public, and you were humiliated and embarrassed. People might throw food at you, eggs at you. They might come by and laugh at you because they wanted to show you that your behavior was unacceptable in, in, in a socially uh, you know, conscious type time. So basically, that's what it is to be in the stocks. Only this time they were in the inner prison. You know where that is? If you go into a jail system, even today, you have jail cells all along the walls of the prison. Each one of those walls has a window that lets in fresh air and light. But in the center of those blocks, they had cages that only looked onto other cages. So basically you had no window, no ventilation, no direct sunlight. You were in the dankest and darkest part of the jail, and many of these were underground to prevent people from rushing on the jail to, uh, to uh, extract their friends. And so basically, they put them in the worst spot. But now think about this. It says they had ordered them beaten with rods. Is this the first time Paul got beaten? 2 Corinthians 11.25 Paul is listing all of the things that were done to him. And he says, three times I was beaten with rods. He survived three beatings. In fact, he was stoned several times, almost died once. So he had been through this punishment. He knew what it was to go against the government. So he's been beaten before. Now, when you're beaten, you are sore all over. You have whelps and bruises all over your body. Now, in these days, the stocks for your feet were on the floor. So you would sit on the floor. Now you've been beaten, so you're sore. 
You would sit on the floor, put your feet out. They would put one piece of wood under, one piece of wood over, clamp them down and lock them so you couldn't escape. You couldn't go anywhere. Now you're sitting on the ground. What can you do when you're tired and you're sitting on the ground? Lay down. Lay down on what? On the cold, hard ground. So if Paul or Silas wanted to relax, they had to stretch out on the ground, which was cold, damp, no bed, no, no uh, blankets. And that was a way of making you suffer even more. Now, we know the rest of the story, and we're going to get there next week. We're going to get to see what happens because of this. But what I want you to see is this. When you stand up for God, you are going to pay a price. You're going to be an outcast. You're not going to be able to associate with people. So when you stand up, you may lose friends. You may commit odds with your family. There may be a situation in your life where suddenly you may not get along with the closest people in your own family. I have, I have family that I love, but we don't talk about certain things because they know where I stand and I know where they stand. And we just sort of say, let's not talk about that. Well, actually, they say, let's not talk about that. I love to talk about it. So here's the thing. If you live your life above the, above the line, open, available to God, able to be used by God, don't expect it to always go smoothly. Expect there to be trouble because you're drawing Satan's attention now. He converts Lydia. I mean, God brings Lydia to himself through Paul. And then she begins to bring them into her home and giving him access to all these other wealthy people. So he's outside, he's walking along, nowhere near Lydia's house, nowhere, nowhere near these wealthy people, and suddenly a spirit-possessed girl comes up on him. That's no accident. Satan needed a way to slow Paul down. So he sent somebody into his life who could cause him trouble. So always watch out for people that, that tend to insinuate themselves into your life because sometimes they're there for the wrong reason. And that's what happens when mercy backfires. All Paul does is come out of her, leave her alone. He's done a good thing for her. But those who are in control don't appreciate it. So if you start speaking up for Jesus, don't think people are going to thank you for that. Don't think that they're going to say, oh, thank you for showing, my, showing me my sin and showing me my mistakes and, and, and convicting me of my, of my wrongdoings. People will not appreciate you for that. But when it comes down to paying the price, it's going to be different for every one of us. I think you get to my age and you really don't care what people think about you. You just really don't care whether they think that you're an old fuddy-duddy or you're out of touch or you're, you're from a previous generation. Somebody said, how old was I? I said, I went to school with Moses. And I was, I was serious. I knew a guy named Moses, U.S. Army, good guy. And they always go, Moses? I said, yeah, U.S. Army guy. And they, go, they get the joke thing is, I don't care. I don't care if they think I'm old-fashioned. I don't care if they think I'm out of touch. I'll ask questions. I'll be polite. I'll be courteous. I, I don't make condemning judgmental statements because that doesn't help anybody. But when people ask me questions, I answer them. And I know that every time I answer a question, I'm running the risk of getting on someone's wrong side. And so, uh, but if you don't answer questions, you can't help anybody. You can't be of any, anyone's service. So when 
non-Christians attack or when they make comments or when they strike back at you. Don't be surprised, please. Don't be surprised that if you say the truth that people suddenly are like, well, why would you say something like that? How can you serve a God like that? I'm sure that God's not like that. Well, you get a great opportunity to open your Bible and show them exactly who God is, exactly who you are in Christ. You see what I mean? So we're going to go on and finish this next week, but I want to lay this foundation for you. I want to leave it at this really unpopular point, okay? This really bad point. If you ask me why God lets Satan take shots at the church, I'm going to tell you why, but I'm going to tell you next week. Because nothing God does is for no reason. If you get attacked, if you get persecuted, if you get things said about you, there is a reason all of this is happening. And it's not because God doesn't care. It's because God is doing something that you can't see. With that said, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be, we'll be out of here for Sunday.